Welcome to the Rena Malik MD podcast, where we explore health and demystify the complex to improve your quality of life. I'm Dr. Rena Malik, urologist and pelvic surgeon. Today's guest is a returning guest, Dr. Kelly Kasperson. Dr. Kelly Kasperson is a board certified urologist and host of You Are Not Broken podcast. She's also available to follow on Instagram at Kelly Kasperson. In addition, she has a number of courses and educational content on social media, including a TEDx talk about sexual education. In this video, we discuss why women fake orgasms. Specifically, we'll discuss the faking orgasm scale, altruistic deceit, elevated arousal, and sexual adjournment. We also discuss a paper entitled The Heteronormativity Theory of Low Sexual Desire in Women Partnered with Men, as well as Orgasm Coercion. We hope that you'll enjoy this podcast and learn a great deal. You know, sex is obviously amazing, but it can be super stressful. And I think for men and women, there's obviously a big disconnect in what the differences are in how we perceive sex and also how, you know, we achieve orgasm and all sorts of different things. But let's get down to it. I think a lot of guys want to know why are women faking orgasms and how can they tell if they're really having an orgasm or not? Yeah, it's a really good question. There is people who actually study this. The best thing I found is this faking orgasm scale, which the the acronym for it is FOS, which I thought was very funny. So basically, they wanted to research what are the reasons that women fake orgasms? And they came up with four reasons why women fake orgasms. So one of them is called altruistic deceit. So basically, they want their partner to feel good. So they're faking to like deceive them, but in a positive way to give them a positive outcome. So altruistic deceit. Number two is fear and insecurity, right? So they're faking an orgasm to avoid negative emotions that come with their sexual experience. Number three is elevated arousal. So they might fake an orgasm to increase her own arousal via faking an orgasm. And then number four is sexual adjournment or basically faking an orgasm just to end sex. And they might even do this there to end the sex if the sex isn't good, right? They're ending it, they're ending bad sex. The problem is they're setting up kind of a, a feedback loop of like the guy thinks, hey, that was great. She orgasmed or done. And she's like, it was horrible. I orgasmed so we could be done. I think there are some like little triggers that you can tell when a woman is really having an orgasm. So physiologically, certain things happen in our bodies. You want to touch on those a little bit? I want to start by saying it, everybody is different, right? So just assuming like all female bodies or bodies with vulvas and clitoris act a certain way is probably not going to get you as far as like really understanding your partner. And they've done a study on this. They wanted to see how well men knew that their female partners were faking orgasm. And it turns out that men aren't good at it at all. They're like they over assume that their partner is having a good time in orgasm when really their partner wasn't. But classically, the female orgasm is involved with pelvic floor contractions. So a rhythmic contraction, I think, you'd have to check me on this, but I think if I remember, it's about 0.8 seconds apart. And that's almost for every pelvic floor. So it's actually a repeatable pelvic floor contraction at certain intervals is an orgasm. The other interesting thing about orgasms is you put people in an MRI, have them push a button when they have an orgasm to see what their brain's doing. And different people will say different things are orgasms for them. So even the researchers will say one orgasm does not fit all in them. 
Some of the best moments in life are spontaneous, unplanned, but for men dealing with moderate to severe erectile dysfunction or ED, preparing for intimacy can rob you and your partner of spontaneity. The joy of living in the moment. Now you can restore that spark in your relationship with the AMS 700 implant, a clinically proven permanent solution designed for your satisfaction and your partner's. It's the number one physician-preferred implant. It's built to look and feel natural. Happy partners agree. 92% of patients and 96% of their partners report sexual activity with the implant excellent or satisfactory. It gives you the ability to respond to your partner's wishes in the moment, not minutes or hours later. The AMS 700. No pills, no injections, no waiting. For more information, visit edcure.org slash podcast. That's E-D-C-U-R-E dot O-R-G slash P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Sponsored by Boston Scientific. Yes, yes. And and the, the, those brain studies are so fascinating, right? What parts of your brains light up with different sort of stimulation? So I've talked about this before, but like nipple stimulation, earlobe stimulation, toes, um, and pain, certain painful stimulations actually all kind of light up areas of the brain that are also seen in some people who have orgasms at the, in the same parts of their brain. When you're having an orgasm, the frontal lobe or the prefrontal cortex is totally offline. You can't think about the past. You can't plan your future. It is not working. So you're literally like dumb and happy. Yeah, it's like a meditative experience, right? It's like yeah. completely clear-minded. And there's nothing else going on in the world except for your orgasm, according to your brain. Yes, that's amazing, right? Our brains do such a good job of letting us be in that space and enjoy sex because sex is evolutionarily valuable, right? Like our bodies need to want to have sex to make babies and continue our species. Yeah, absolutely. So I think if a guy is too focused on this is the interesting thing, the new research that's coming out by Sari Van Anders and Sarah Chadwick on orgasmic coercion. So basically they're studying what happens when a partner kind of forces or pressures their partner to have an orgasm. And they say that's about as bad as coercive sex. And it really influences your partner's enjoyment if they feel like you're pressuring them to have an orgasm. So although we think it's a great thing for partners to want to support orgasm in their partner, too much pressure or focus on that as an endpoint can actually backfire. Yeah, and that's interesting because you see it in media like all the time, right? They're like Fifty Shades of Grey or all those, you know, those movies where they're showing a lot of, you know, intercourse on in movies. A lot of the time there is this orgasmic coercion, right? And people think that that's very attractive or a turn on for some people. But that's interesting in reality that maybe that's not the case. Fascinating research. I think that's coming out as a part of this focus on orgasmic equality, right? We want to make sure our partners enjoy sex as much as we do. So we want to keep having more great sex. But if it turns into a pressured thing or you have to or you should or you should in a certain way, it kind of loses its luster that like sex is for pleasure and enjoyment. Obviously, you know, when we're talking about sex and orgasms, there is a lot that goes into having a pleasurable experience. There's physical issues and there's mental issues. And physically, there's some really easy things that we can do in a relationship, whether it's the woman or the man or the partner. What are some easy things we can do to make it physically more pleasurable? So for the female or the vulva owner, one simple thing is don't just hone in on her sexual organs right away. 
women, and again, I'm stereotyping, but warm her up in with her mind and talking and touch and maybe start with the hands or the back. Work in. A lot of women are turned off by like zero to 60, like nothing to genital touch is actually too much too fast for them. So pay attention on how you kind of approach and warm up for sexual intercourse. And then number two, of course, is focusing on her organs of pleasure, which is the clitoris, which runs underneath the labia and the vulva. So really focusing on that. Vibration is fantastic. Touch. Things that aren't just penis centric. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked a little bit about this before. I've actually made a whole video about female anatomy. So check that out because it really explains why women get so much pleasure from their clitoris. It's because it's exactly identical or homologous to the male penis developmentally. So they have the same nerve endings, the same kind of structure as the male penis. Guys think the penis is so important, right? Well, equally is the clitoris. It's not the vagina. And this is where our sex ed is so lacking. Yeah. And I think the other thing about it is, right, we as a society do a lot of harm by focusing on penises, right? Not because penises aren't good and valuable and important structures. They absolutely are. But because we focus on how long or how girthy or whatever a penis should be, even in the jest, right? You'll hear women joke about it and other stuff. And that really does play a role psychologically on men, right? Whereas like, that's not the only way to pleasure a woman. It's a vehicle, right, to pleasure yourself and to pleasure her in some ways. Certainly women enjoy penetrative sex. Certainly there are women who orgasm from penetrative sex, although usually they need some clitoral stimulation for that to work. But, you know, it's not the be all end all. It's not the only way you have a satisfying sexual experience. Certainly not. And it's really, you know, you can, as long as you kind of use all the tools available to you, you can have a exceedingly successful sex life. I'd say the biggest tip is ask your partner what they like and give them time and space to be able to answer you truthfully, right? Without judgment. It's like, do you like it like this? What about this? What if we try that? Really, the communicating is where we build the skills, not just by like trying something or watching a video and trying it, but like involve your partner in what might feel good for her. Yeah. And don't be afraid to talk in the beginning. It is awkward, right? When you first start having these conversations with your partner, especially if they're a little bit shy or uncomfortable with the discussion. But, you know, as you guys normalize it more and more, it'll become easier to talk about. So, yeah, there might be giggles. You might feel awkward bringing it up in the beginning, but it will get easier and ultimately will lead to a better sex life in the long term. The other thing about sex that I think really helps in many situations that's underutilized is lubricant. And I think we've talked about this in our last video, but it doesn't matter how much lubricant a woman makes. It's not reflective of how turned on she is. Some women make more, some women make less, particularly if they've gone through menopause, they may make less, but that doesn't mean that they're not excited to be with you. And using lubricant can really enhance your sexual experience. And it's not a negative thing at all. In fact, it just makes it more fun. Plenty of studies showing that people and couples who use lube have more orgasm. And again, using an orgasm, not as the end-all be-all, but as a marker for enjoyment, right? And I always like to say that the clitoris and the penis, neither one are self-lubricating organs, right? So let's help them out so they can have more pleasure. Absolutely. And I made a whole video on lubricants so you can check it out, learn what kinds of lubricants there are, what are some good options for you and your partner. Um, so check that one out as well. I to like try one and not like it and try a different one. Yeah. And even if it isn't super cheap, you can always send emails to the companies and say, hey, I'd love to try just a sample. And some of them may have it and may be able to send you a sample so you can try it out before you invest a lot of money in maybe an expense, a more expensive lubricant. 
if you have a good, like highly reputable sex store in your town, they tend to have samples. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Or your doctor. Like I have samples in my office. So. I have samples in my office. Yeah. <laughs> so absolutely ask your doctors. So as far as, you know, sex being physical, of course, there are physical things that maybe your partner will need to get checked out. So if you've added lubricant, you've taken more time um, to include foreplay, which I think really should be a part of sex. And if you think about how long women want sex to be, I think that that number is usually around 15 to 20 minutes, but that includes foreplay, right? If you have a good amount of foreplay and, and incorporate that into sex, that's going to one, make her ready for intercourse. So as women get turned on, their their vaginas will actually elongate and widen. So that will allow for accommodation of the penis and also it will be more comfortable for them. So if you've tried that and you've added lubricant and they're still having pain, make sure they see a urologist or a gynecologist who specializes in sexual medicine that can help them figure out what else might be going on. I always say if it's not an eight, it, on an arousal scale, right? I'm like, if it's not an eight, don't penetrate. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a really good one. But the other thing it does is so the female pelvis gets engorged with blood, it gets engorged with blood and it helps protect those tissues and helps those tissues be more resilient. And it also promotes arousal. So making sure the female pelvis is properly engorged with blood, not dissimilar at all from what a penis does when it gets erect, right? Both pelvises are engorging with blood to help set the stage for a pleasurable sexual experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So if the physical side is not an issue or you've got it checked out, there's a lot of sex that is mental for both men and women. And I've talked about how the, your mental health can really affect your sexual health in a previous video. So check that out. But as far as women are concerned, you know, what are women bringing to the bedroom? What are things they're thinking about, at least from a scientific perspective? What are theories and thoughts that we see in the research that we are seeing when we find out women who are maybe having less interest in sex? What's going on in their brain? So two big things come up. One of them is body image, right? If we're constantly judging either our body or not being good enough or not doing it right, what would they call that spectatoring, right? So we're actually kind of like watching me and my partner have sex totally is a desire killer, arousal killer, really working on body acceptance and just being in our body, being in the moment, knowing this is all you need right now to have all the pleasure that you can have and getting out of that judgment zone. Judging is not great for great sex. So that's number one. And number two would be more mindfulness. What I mean by that is getting out of yesterday and getting out of tomorrow. So just like that frontal lobe, right? It, it gets turned off when we have an orgasm. If it's on overdrive, thinking about school lunches didn't get packed or things didn't go well at work today, if it's in a different place other than the bedroom, it's not going to be focused on pleasure and arousal and, and being in the moment with your partner. Guys, do you ever find yourself dragging through the day, low on energy, having trouble in the bedroom, or just not feeling like yourself? You might be experiencing something more common than you think, testosterone deficiency or low T. Did you know that low testosterone affects about 40% of American men over 45? As men age, testosterone levels continue to decline. You might notice signs like impotence, changes in sexual desire, depression, reduced muscle mass, or even fatigue. But here's the thing. It's not just about low T. It's about your overall well-being. That's where Rethink Testosterone comes in, a great resource for all men to learn about how testosterone affects their bodies. 
Rethink Testosterone is your go-to platform with tons of educational content and evidence-based scientific studies that go over everything you want to know about testosterone, from how low testosterone affects you to the common myths about testosterone replacement therapy and options for treatments. So check out RethinkTestosterone.com, your hub for all things testosterone and low T. Rethink Testosterone is on a mission to change the narrative and stigma around men's hormone health. Why wait? Visit RethinkTestosterone.com today and consider checking your testosterone levels. Always remember you're worth it. Rethink Testosterone because understanding your health is the first step to owning it. Head to www.RethinkTestosterone.com today and make taking care of your body a priority. Men, are you still searching for a solution for your erectile dysfunction? You know, the frustration of pills and injections and pumps? By the time you're ready, the moment may have passed. You and your partner can no longer enjoy the thrill of spontaneity, and scheduling time for intimacy may be a disappointment. Now, there's a way to be ready in the moment for as long as you need. The AMS 700 implant is a permanent ED solution designed for your satisfaction and your partners. Happy partners agree with 92% of patients and 96% of their partners reporting sexual activity to be excellent or satisfactory. So go ahead, live in the moment with our clinically proven physician preferred AMS 700. Learn more at edcure.org slash podcast. That's E-D-C-U-R-E dot O-R-G slash P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Sponsored by Boston Scientific. Yeah, so I think as a, if you're the male partner or a partner with someone who's struggling with body image or they're not mindful, you know, talk to them about how, you know, how appealing you find their body to be. Maybe if they want the lights off, like that may help them not be so focused on their body image. Um, and, and just kind of really being receptive, then encouraging them to to see how beautiful their body is or how much you find it appealing is going to help them. And then also, you know, I think for mindfulness, I mean, there's lots of things you could do to be mindful. But as a couple, you can work on doing things that are maybe mindful for both of you together, like doing yoga or meditation or going for mindful walks, like whatever it is, but turning off the devices, the phones, the the everything and just disconnecting and being focused in one activity, whatever that is for you guys, it doesn't have to be like literally sitting in meditation. It can be anything where you're just being present with each other and practicing that throughout life will also translate to more mindfulness in the bedroom. I couldn't agree more. It is part of like helping your partner take the stress off her plate, right? We've got great studies that show like partners that play together, right? Tend to have great sexual activity. Like you play tennis to get rid of stress or you go, you know, watch something that's funny and laugh. You're getting stress away so that you can then focus on the pleasurable part of the body. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then what are some things societally that we see in the literature that are really kind of playing a big role in women's desire for sex? So many things. And what they call this, they call this the heteronormative explanation for low desire in women who are partnered with men. So what we're looking at here is, are women allowed to pursue sex? Is it okay for them or can they only accept sex when somebody's asking them for it? We think that that might lower their desire because they're only allowed to respond to somebody else's desire instead of truly understanding what brings up desire and sex for them. Super interesting stuff to think about. 
I think another thing that comes up in the way society is shaped is the uneven workload on women in their houses and their families compared to their partner. And that unequal workload, again, adds that stress to what she has to manage, what she has to think about. So she's less available to focus on what she wants for pleasure. So I think those two things are somewhat out of your control, but you can encourage your partner to initiate sex, tell them how much that is enjoyable for you. And also, um, you know, whatever it is to lighten the load for them. If you're too busy and you, you can't do a lot of stuff at home. When my husband has Facebook groups, right, all the, the pictures of hot women are like literally women in their bikinis and they're very attractive. Whereas in women's groups, all our memes about like attractive men are like them doing the dishes or them like cleaning the house. And because it's like, it's not only that you're attractive, but you're also like helping at home. And so I'm sure many men do this. I mean, I know my husband's great at helping out around the house. Um, and so the more you can do, the better it is because it'll allow your partner to also feel uh, like they have less work to do and they can focus more on being present for you during more intimate times. Another interesting thing that came out of this heteronormativity paper is the role of mothering, right? Because people that we mother or a woman mothers, she isn't in a sexual relationship with them. So what happens when your female partner plays a mothering role to you? And does caretaking role to you, right? That might be necessary if there's a health, health condition going on or something where she really does need to care. But look at that in the context of is your relationship a, a one where she's not being a mothering role? You're actually an autonomous grown adult who can handle his own stuff and you're coming at her in your partnership in a more of an equality partnered sexual sort of relationship. I hope that makes sense. It's actually pretty complex and something not a lot of people think about. But they've done data showing that when a female mothers, of course, that's not a sexual relationship. Not to say that moms can't be sexual beings. That's very true. But the person she mothers, she's now not considering them to be a sexual being as much. And this is all stuff we don't think of consciously, right? But it's what comes out of the data when they look at what's going on in society where women might have lower desire than their male counterpart. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, we don't think of it as mothering either. We think of it as just taking care of our partners, right? Like I'll make the do doctor's appointments and I'll clean up after like the things that, you know, and, and it's it's a fine line, right? Like I think you you can be a partner and you can, you know, support your partner in the ways they're deficient, right? Like my my partner is not really great at organization or not really great at like picking up the clothes off the ground, but he's good at other things, right? So like those are things that I'll pick up for him. So I don't perceive it as mothering, but when it becomes all one-sided, I think that's when it feels like mothering where, um, you know, they're constantly doing everything for your partner. It's not the doing, it's the intention behind them. So it's like, I, I want to do this for you because I care and I love for you versus I have to do this because you're incompetent and you never do anything right. It, like It's always the the why behind the action that's the really important thing and some of that i know you know kelly and i've talked about this before because we're friends and we talk about this sort of nerdy stuff but a lot of it is like also how you perceive things right like our minds can make us feel like our partner's not doing enough or we can feel like we're grateful to be in such a wonderful relationship and doing stuff for them fills our cup right and so there is a bit of mindfulness there right like how do we perceive our relationship and so some of that, again, can just be talking, going, you know, talking with each other about 
like what you guys actually perceive your relationship to be and how to move forward. And if that's too difficult, sometimes even going to couples counseling can be helpful. I see this a lot. In a, I'll give you a scenario, right? So he pursues her for sex and she says, you only want me for sex versus I don't feel desired, right? Or I feel like you don't want me for me. You want me just for my body, right? And so it's like even his action can be interpreted in a different way. And it's always what's underlying that action that's ultimately important, which is why communication is so awesome for a good sex life. Yeah, exactly. Like she could really like if that's all you're doing in your relationship, sure, sure, her thoughts could be valid or she could just be saying that because she, or thinking that because she doesn't feel connected to you on other levels because she's expecting something different. Right. And you may not know that. Right. So, again, it all comes down to having open communication and really talking about what your expectations are in a relationship and how you can realistically meet them, right? Of course, I would love it if every day I came home and the dishes were done and the, sh and the clothes were laundered, but like we both have a job. That's not realistic, right? So so I think that those are things that are important to discuss in your relationship. This is why I think, you know, the aim towards having great sex is personal growth for you. It's for your relationship. Like there's so much good work that comes in trying to have a better sex life. Oh my God, a hundred percent. Absolutely. And like, you'll find that if you work towards having a better sex life and a better relationship with your partner, things, other things in your life will get better. Like you might find that you're like working out more or like eating healthier because you've now committed to one thing and other things kind of, it's like a ripple effect. The work you do for a great time in the bedroom is the same work you do for having like excellence at work, you know, or like body image stuff or wanting to take care of your body and, and think it's a body that's worthy of pleasure and maintenance. Like, I, I just think that working on your sex life is like the final frontier in personal growth. Yeah, because who doesn't want good sex? Everybody wants good sex, right? So then like that should be an easy goal that you everybody wants. And then bam, you're working on every part of your life. This conversation that we're having is so meaningful because people just think it's like a toy or a lube or you know, a position that they could try. And it's like, that's all the superficial bonus fun stuff of like the work you do to become somebody worth desiring, somebody worth having sex with, somebody who knows that they're worthy of pleasure and enjoyment in an equal relationship. Like that's such good work. And you can't buy that in a supplement or a toy or like the newest sex position. Yes, 100%. Although toys can be fun and it's totally okay if, yeah, but that's not going to replace a good relationship and good communication. What I see really commonly is women having sex with their male partner so that he doesn't get in a bad mood or he doesn't grump around the house or whatever. Basically, they're having sex with him to help control his behavior because he's like, I'll just get grumpy then or, you know, some sort of what we call emotional childhood, right? And a woman who's in that position of I just need to have sex with him is to keep him happy or to keep him from not being mopey. Her desire is oftentimes in the toilet, right? Because she's using sex as a way to make things okay in the relationship versus saying, I love having sex with this person because I get a lot out of it and it's pleasurable and he can take care of his emotional needs and not be grumpy or happy because of our sex life. Like that is huge and I see it all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I see that too. And I think it's um, it's important, like, again, personal growth, right? If you can manage your emotions, then sex just becomes this really fun thing we're doing. It's not something you're reliant on. A lot of people, uh, what I've seen is people will like use sex as their only dopamine rush, right? Like everything else they're doing in life is 
stressful work, taking care of kids, whatever it is. And sex is the one time where they really get like this truly big hit of dopamine. And so they get really used to needing that to feel happy. But there's like so many other things in the world that can bring you dopamine, right? And you just need to seek those things out, like exercise. I mean, everyone's dopamine rush is different, right? But like you can get it from so many other ways. So look for other ways that will bring you joy so that you're not reliant on it to make you happy. And especially, yeah. And then I would say also like the converse, the flip of it, right? We've seen women who use sex as a manipulation tool, like I'll do this for you if you buy me X, Y, Z. And that just makes sex not what it's supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be this like fun, enjoyable thing that you both enjoy. It's not supposed to be like you do this for me and I'll do that for you, right? And so look out. That's a red flag if your partner's doing that and tell them like, look, I don't want sex to be like that for us. I want it to be something that we both want and enjoy. And and otherwise, that's just on a road to a bad relationship in the long term because sex won't be something that your partner is looking to for fun. Sex is a bartering chip, right? So it's like, are you having sex that's worth desiring when you when you try to piece apart like, why might I have low desire? Thank you for listening to today's episode on the Rena Malik MD podcast. If you enjoy listening, the best way to support our podcast is by rating and reviewing this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. This allows us to spread free education to more people each and every week. You can find me on social media on all the platforms at Rena Malik MD, including YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you'd like to see me as a patient, you can easily schedule an appointment at www.renamalikmd.com backslash appointments. And as always, remember to take care of yourself because you are worth it.